Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and unfortunately, my co-host, Michelle Clare, is not able to join us tonight. She was not feeling well. She sends her love to everybody, and we hope she feels better quickly, because we miss her when she's not here to give her insights, especially tonight, because... This is going to be a very exciting show about something that gets talked about, mentioned all the time, but very little is really known about the history. And tonight we have an expert who's going to be talking to us about the Illuminati. So stay tuned, everybody. I wanted to get to a couple of things, though, from last week's show. Now, we had Romy Bueller on the show. She's an animal communicator, and she's also an holistic health coach for pet owners. Now, she told us at the end of the show that she had had an experience communicating with a Bigfoot. It was fascinating. So we went and sent Romy a photograph from Lori Simmons, who has been on our show several times. The photograph is of, no doubt in my mind, a Bigfoot, and I posted it on our Facebook page. So take a look at it there. You will see this big looming figure from the back, huge shoulders and a very strangely shaped head. And it's leaning over, which you can't see, is Lori and her boyfriend that were sleeping in their sleeping bags below this creature. So what's so strange, and we discussed it last week, is that Lori and her boyfriend never woke up. This thing was basically breathing on them. And they never woke up. And I think that says a lot about the type of being this is, how stealthy Bigfoot really is. So that photograph is on our Facebook page. Take a look at it. What happened was Romy decided to tune in and see if she could have a conversation with this one. And so she wrote back to us. I'm going to share with you what she said because it was fascinating. So she just says, hi, Patricia and Michelle, I wanted to send you my brief chat with Bigfoot. As you know, 
As soon as you bring something into your intention, the contact starts almost instantly. It was the night we chatted, and I looked at these photos that I went and I went to bed and had Bigfoot connecting with me as I went to sleep. I was too tired to stay with him, but I did notice his voice was not human. It had a metallic robotic sound to it, like a Dalek from Doctor Who wrapped in a blanket. That's about the best way I can describe it. These conversations and connections have to be given to me in a way I understand. And for me, that is English, but this is not their language. And I felt that this conversation took a bit of energy to translate for me. I asked him what he was doing, and he replies with one word, visiting. I ask him where he's from, and he tells me he's inter- and intra-galactic, and that he defies time and space. They are here as swiftly as they are not here. They can be seen or unseen as they choose. When they are here, it is to get our attention. There was a period of a number of decades they were hard to find and rarely seen on Earth, but they are about to show themselves more often. They were here excuse me, during that time, although not as widely as they are now and about to be. but weren't able, let me find my place here, to be seen by the human eye. We will see them more often, but also with more clarity soon enough. When I go to touch him, and this part really was fascinating, I can feel his rough fur-like coat under my hand, and there is a density to his being, but not like a human. It is not solid. With little effort, I can push my hand through into his body, which I have to say is absolutely freezing. Or is it boiling? This is interesting because it is both at the same time. I also hear this sound come from him, which I am told is a galactical language they use. This sound reminds me a little of a humpback whale song underwater. It sounds distant and quite eerie. He is telling me that they take people occasionally from solitary camping locations. Apparently, there are many unreported missing persons that they select. See, I always knew they took these people. So here it is. That person, tents, equipment, etc., all vanish within a nanosecond, like they were never there. They are taken to intraspace locations. I don't know where that is exactly, but they take them there to show them the truth of what is beyond the dimension we humans see and understand. They are mostly not returned. Some are, but they have zero recollection of what they experienced. They do feel different, though, and I see them being reprogrammed in some way, a higher level of consciousness. He says, it's getting closer for you to see what exists beyond your insular world, but not yet. More chaos needs to reign first. People need to be more driven to search for what some already know, that consciousness hasn't arrived yet. You are to experience some hard lessons first. You are complacent and you are very, very ignorant. It is arrogant to think that the only existence is what is right in front of you. When I ask how many of them there are, I see this endless vision of Bigfoot looking very busy. 
I hear they are everywhere, all of the time, and they can be in more than one location at any given time on Earth or elsewhere. I also am shown what looks like a portal that they shift through to Earth. For now, they may well be seen in only certain areas. This will change as I see the portal widening. Maybe not in my lifetime, but they will be seen further afield. So that's Romy's experience based on the photograph that we sent to her. So fascinating stuff. Romy, thank you again. And Romy will be joining us because everybody loved hearing from her. We're bringing her back sometime in June, and she's going to talk more about all these exciting things. So it's wonderful to have her with us, and we will definitely be having her back. We'll keep you posted on the exact date. In the meantime, go to our Facebook page, give us a like and follow, and take a look at that photo from Lori Simmons. So tonight we have expert John E. Graham. He has translated an incredible book. It's called The Bavarian Illuminati, The Rise and Fall of the World's Most Secret Society. And it tells us all about this small group that was founded in 1776 by Adam Weiskopf. Now, the term Illuminati dominates our conspiracy culture, but is it a conspiracy? What about the Illuminati is real? We're going to find out because John is going to tell us. Now, this book was first published in French in 1915 and explains the Bavarian Illuminati's grades, rituals, and ceremonies, as well as its fundamental philosophies. It also examines the leaders of the order and includes the only surviving record of documents destroyed during the World Wars. Now, John is an award-winning translator, artist, and writer specializing in esoteric topics and surrealism. He lives in Vermont, and he is also the acquisitions editor for Inner Traditions. And he's with us right now. John, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. So, what a beautiful where book. Where should I I'm begin? admiring this. Well, there's so much to talk about. First thing I have to tell everybody, this book is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, the cover, it's a hardback. It's, it's just beautifully printed, beautifully done. If you're looking for a gift for yourself or for anybody, I highly encourage you to take a look at this book. It's a really, really special book. So, John, how did you get mesmerized by this topic? Well, I've been working in this field for some time, and even before I was working, I've had a long interest in the occult and esoteric societies, secret societies. Uh, and some time ago, actually 15 years ago, maybe not quite that long, one of our authors uh, found this book, which I hadn't heard of, I wasn't familiar with the author at that time. Since then, I've become quite familiar with his work, though he's rather a mystery uh, since there doesn't seem to be much uh, about René Laforestier, who wrote this book. But uh, this author, James Wasserman, talked me into translating it for him as he wanted to uh, publish it himself for a variety of reasons, that plan never came to fruition. And then over a few years ago, I realized that the book was uh, now in the public domain, and I talked to my colleagues and the publisher 
and in their traditions, and we decided we would go ahead and do this. And it's quite a it's quite a large book. It's uh, almost 900 pages. There's it actually contains six books within it. One that just starts out with the uh, humble beginnings of the Illuminati. Then it, second book discusses the context, the esoteric world that the Illuminati developed in, which especially includes uh, the Strict Observance, which was a Templar-based Freemasonic group uh, with a high number of aristocratic members that dominated the German esoteric world in the uh, mid-1700s. Then it discusses the uh, further history of the Illuminati, their grades, their organizations, their different signs and uh, the symbolism that they use. And then it comes to the book four, which is uh, where they were exposed by a disgruntled member that led to their downfall. And the final books talk about Weishaupt's uh, philosophical theories and the legend that grew out of the Illuminati's history, which had become fairly well-known throughout Europe. And it provided people with a ready, uh, shall we say, explanation for the French Revolution which came to many people as a complete shock. Hmm. So this this book is probably uh, the most scholarly study you'll ever find on this particular subject. And it's, it really does give the history of this, of how this group got started. And, and it's really very different than what I expected when I'm reading about this. Well, this is very different than the Illuminati that's discussed ad nauseum today in our contemporary culture. Very different. Yeah, there there are elements in their history that, that fed the kinds of myths that grew up about them, and I, I tend to, to describe it as an egregore, as something that mm-hmm. uh, it's a kind of occult thought form that a group of people create that goes on to become something bigger and right. survives their own passing. In fact, you could even say that it's their demise that gives it the the life force it needs to become something that becomes, you know, a cultural entity that transcends their original desires for it. Yeah, it's it's very different. I mean, what we are inundated with in our contemporary culture, as you well know, is all the stuff about you know, celebrities who are covering up one eye or doing these hand signals with uh, their photographs or videos, and everybody starts getting hysterical about it, saying how, see, these people are all Illuminati people. They all want to control us and rule the world, or they are controlling us, and we're just too stupid to know it. But, yeah, I mean, you know what has built up around this whole thing. Well, that's one of the valuable things about this book because it shows you step-by-step the actual history of it, the the historical context in which it grew, which it's just for the second book alone. It's uh, invaluable to people who want to know more about just how deeply occult and hermetic ideas permeated uh, Germany 
and actually all of Europe in the mid 18th century, which a uh, hundred. 120 years before the so-called occult revival that happened in France and especially in Paris at the end of the uh, 19th century, that these ideas have been with us all along. That they never really seem. Well, if you if you if you scratch beneath the surface, you find that hermetic ideas play a vital part in the intellectual and cultural life of. The, of European societies going back hundreds right. and hundreds of years. Now, there's been such a, a change, though, because what Adam Weishaupt was up to, I mean, he had some really interesting ideas, and it has, again, the whole Illuminati thing, has taken on a much more sinister aspect. Is that how you would describe That's how I see it. How would you see that? Well, I mean, if there, the ideas that he espoused were very similar to what the founding fathers were inspired by in our right. own American Revolution. Yeah. You know, he's talking about equality, and he's talking about giving people <clears throat> the right to to their own destinies. That removing the oppressive presence of kings and priests to tell them how they had to live. That his, his idea was to create a society that would educate people so that they could be responsible for their own lives and pursue their own desires. I mean, there's, that, that I don't see as anything that would be found threatening and offensive to the majority of people. Exactly. Today. Right. And, and yet the term Illuminati seems to have this dark feeling to it. But I loved reading your book and having an understanding of what Weishaupt was really uh, hoping to achieve, and like you said, it was it was much different than the stuff that we're hearing about the Illuminati today, which seems so corrupted. Yeah, because it seemed to me like he was on the right track. You know, human suffering. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you look at the ideas, I mean, they were do. right. Exactly, there were. I mean, it, you know, like all human beings, there's like a kind of contradiction at work with him. A lot of his uh, motivations were inspired by his deep dislike of the Jesuits, mm-hmm. who had, you know, had been the they had controlled the educational system that he came up in. But while he was creating a system to fight against that kind of uh, Jesuitical oppressive control of the minds of the people they educated. At the same time, he used some of their methods. And uh-huh. unfortunately, there was also the, uh, you know, he, he, he didn't shy away from, uh, let's say, coloring the truth. You know, when he first started the order, and in this he differs, he's not at all different from the people that were running other secret societies. They claimed descent from various secret orders of thousands of years ago. The uh, strict observance claimed to be a direct, unbroken descendant of the Knights Templar, 
with even roots going back to ancient Egypt. Uh, and that was one of the, it, it was, there was such a hunger there. This was a time filled with spiritual seeking and these secret societies were competing with one another to draw people into their, their organizations. So they were claiming access to great secrets. Many of these organizations claim to have the secret, of, you know, alchemical secrets turning lead into gold, things like that, or the great mm-hmm. secrets that uh, had been edited out of the Bible by the oppressive Christian institutions that had come along later. And, you know, there was a many things. But uh, they, would, they would give the people that they wanted to join the member that the, their, their organizations the idea that once they became a member, they would eventually, through study and initiation, be given access to these great secrets. And part of the uh, the competition between them would be in exposing each other, each organization, as not having such secrets. Uh-huh. So there was there was, <laughs> but. As far as the Illuminati goes, they were their basic goals. I I find very sympathetic. You know, what yeah. there's and you know at the time, you know, in the context of the time, uh, these ideas were considered almost heretical. Even though it is in the 1770s, you still have uh, a Monarchal state and Bavaria, where they came from, was still the most backwards of of all the principalities that were part of what would, in a hundred years, become Germany. Hmm. And Bavaria was like practically like North Korea at one time. It was completely shut its borders off to anything that was vaguely Protestant. So all wow. the Enlightenment ideas that were characteristic of German society post-Martin Luther never made it into Bavaria. So one of the growing pains that the Illuminati had is they were providing a curriculum for the new members that the Germans in Frankfurt and Berlin and other, and even in Vienna, other places were already totally familiar with, but had been on the on the banned book list in Bavaria, and it was still you could still go to jail or be you know lose your job for for having these books or offering these books to other people, and this was part of the the struggle that led Weishaupt to create the Illuminati when he was fighting with the the Jesuits who had been the Jesuits at the Ingolstadt University where he was a law professor. And he was trying to introduce books into the curriculum that they considered heretical. So he really was introducing ideas of freedom, and they didn't like that one bit. And this was not a big group, right? This was a small group. Yeah, it started off in the... I think their first meeting, which was on May 1st, 1776, there were five of them, and it was like students and 
associates he had at Ingolstadt. And from there, they uh, cultivated people in Munich and other cities in Bavaria. And it's hard to say how far they would have gone, but at one point uh, they were joined by uh, Baron Kanigi, whose connections and whose sophistication really gave the Illuminati the ability to move far beyond the provincial ideas that Weishaupt was struggling with. And without Kanigi, it probably never would have had the scope it did, not only mm-hmm. for his own knowledge of uh, what the you know, high society was at that time, but he also was very familiar with all the different systems. He'd been working in different Freemason systems. He had also been a member of other orders, including orders that had women members, which were completely shunned by the bulk of the secret societies of that time. But there was some trouble with him. With yeah, Kennedy and Weishaupt had a falling out, uh, partly out of Weishaupt's own jealousy of Kennedy's success. Mm-hmm. And I think he uh, decided to push something that Weishaupt didn't like. So he, Kennedy was a very uh, sensitive individual. And I think the author at some point describes him as someone who, after having a falling out with someone or being feeling slighted by someone, would go home and stay in bed for three days. Okay. So Weishaupt, when he held him up for ridicule, it angered Kennedy so much he broke from the order. Um, and for okay. a while he was actually writing screeds against secret societies, the danger they posed to society. But once, you know, he uh, there were things happening that he that interested him. He he dropped that and went right back into working with uh, other secret societies. And the French mm. Revolution really inspired him. Yeah, it's it's an unfortunate thing with these power struggles that went on within this very small group. But it's it's understandable. It sounds like Adam Weiskopf was a, slightly insensitive, shall we say? <laughs> mhm. Yeah, he was uh, very. He had an autocratic tendency, despite his uh, his egalitarian ideas, and yeah. that also is expressed in his belief that uh, telling half truths to people in order to con- encourage them to become members was not morally questionable. And this was something that would come in. I mean, Kanigi figured it out very quickly. And once Adam Weishaupt confessed that the group didn't have, uh, didn't go back several hundred years or millennia or whatever, uh, Kanigi just jumped right in and, and he, he's the one that rewrote all the, uh, the grade rituals, and he was able to recast the entire grade system of the Illuminati in a way that was much more sophisticated than what 
Weishaupt had created. And he also expanded on it, drawing on his knowledge of the Scottish systems and other of the more extensive uh, Masonic systems. Yeah, so so that was a, a bit of a problem. It's too bad that they couldn't have worked together in a more cooperative manner. But certainly if yeah, somebody's I mean, holding up to ridicule, it doesn't make you want to work with them, which is, so that's really unfortunate. Yeah, I think, you know, it was, if if uh, Weishaupt's ego hadn't been uh, so large, it would have, they would have found some way around that, but he just couldn't, uh, the idea that Carnegie was going to get credit for all of these things, which he had done, really ate away at him. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's a shame. And there was also, you know, the same insensitive, insensitivity and ego was what led to the order's downfall insofar as he offended one of the lower-ranking members of the Illuminati in Bavaria who had connections with uh, the elector's uh, cousin, Clementina, the duchess. And, you know, he went and told her everything. And while it took some time to convince her cousin Carl that... uh, the Illuminati were a danger. Eventually, uh, through her efforts, seconded by his confessor, who was a Jesuit. But to be technically clear here, the Jesuits were at that time banned by the Pope, who felt that they were a danger to the institution of the Catholic Church. But all the Jesuit, all the people, all the Members of the Jesuit society were still in place without throughout uh, Bavaria and other areas where they where they were had their most in, their greatest influence. So his the the Elector Karl's confessor jumped on what the Duchess had revealed and just worked and worked and worked to convince. Uh, the elector that he should ban all secret societies within the uh, borders of Bavaria, which eventually he did, and that's what started the uh, downfall of the Illuminati. Yeah, that was the end of it. So, yeah, and when you say they were banned, what exactly did that mean? They weren't allowed to meet. Uh, And, in fact, even uh, since many of them are friends, if three or four of them got together at an inn, that could be taken as them breaking the ban and having a meeting. Yikes. So, and as the uh, suppression grew more extreme, they started demanding uh, loyalty oaths from people in all the different sectors of, of Bavarian society, the military, the courts, and they they realized that the Illuminati had insinuated themselves throughout the society. There was they were they had members throughout the educational institutions. Mm-hmm. They were in all the courts. They had high placed 
members in the military. Many of them are personal secretaries or uh, counselors for different aristocrats. So when the full extent of the Illuminati takeover, subversive takeover of Bavarian society was revealed, then the measures taken against them became harsher and harsher, and that's when the right. uh, papers were... Joac, who was uh, uh, Vice-Hop's second in command, was also the personal secretary for the uh, uh, Count of Zweibrücken, and he and his wife's house were raided by the Bavarian police, and they found everything, letters and all the grade books and all of that. And after that, after that was found, especially since the letters had ideas that were far more radical than what they had codified in, in the Illuminati, uh, official Illuminati philosophy and, and mm-hmm. grade books. The letters were what really uh, set them off. So, so what was what were the letters talking about that, that scared them? Well, for one thing, one one letter that Zwack was talking about was uh, creating a special Illuminati order of women, uh, virtuous and depraved women. The virtuous women would be enticed into society by the uh, promise of books and knowledge and given equal footing with men, and the depraved women would be enticed into the society by being offered a place where they could satisfy their desires without society knowing about it. Hmm. And things like that. And at the same time, their enemies, like the Rosicrucians, were... Severe were very. Uh, they they felt that the Illuminati were were heretics of the of the worst kind and had been aware of them, but they had no idea exactly of their identity. As their identities came out, they they fine tuned their attacks, and the idea of the Illuminati as a unscrupulous individual who is a master of poisons and would let nothing stand in the way of achieving their ideals and their mission, uh, took hold. And that's what, uh, as as the caricature Illuminati member became more and more prevalent in the German imagination, the harsher the measures taken to eradicate them, but also all Freemasons, it basically the 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 Bavarian elector especially looked to get rid of all secret societies, which was perfectly in keeping with what the church wanted him to do. Oh yeah. That would fall right in line with that. Well now when the Illuminati started off you mentioned there were five members that met. And by mm-hmm. the time they were being disbanded due to uh this crackdown on them, how many members were there? Well, nobody's really quite sure, but uh, you know they can look at the the membership roles in a number of cities, and you know there were thousands, not 
tens of thousands, but I think I've seen as low as 2,000 to as high as uh, 6,000. And it had spread into the Austrian-Hungarian Empire. Budapest had a lodge. Prague had a lodge. Vienna had a lodge. And there were lodges all throughout uh, what would be Germany. At this time, Germany was still known as the Holy Roman Empire. And all of the it was all a collection of principalities and electorates mm-hmm. and most of the german cities had some kind of illuminati presence so there were there were quite a few and they did have a few celebrated members uh goethe for one also the philosopher herder mm-hmm. uh and it doesn't seem that they were extremely active but you know, knowing Goethe's uh, liberal philosophy, it's easy to see why he would feel in tuned with with the philosophy the Illuminati was presenting. And I think his own sponsor, uh, his patron, who was an aristocrat, also joined. And so they were quite grew. A few, yeah, they yeah, grew they, quite a they bit. Grew in, and that growth, I think, is mainly due to Carnegie's ability to create a more sophisticated structure for the organization. Now, do you think they actually had secrets to divulge that basically give you the keys to the universe? Do you think they had that? Well, if they did, it's not in any of the papers that this author found. Uh, mm-hmm. And... You know, at the time, all the different secret societies were exchanging accusations that each of the their opponents, each of their adversary societies were pretending to possess secrets that they didn't have and trying right. to expose <laughs> the people that were claiming to have secrets as not having any to them. But the Illuminati were successful to a certain extent. I mean, when you look at the situation in Bavaria, which was a very... Um, was still a very backwards state. It was the last part of Germany where uh, women were actually burned as witches, even though it was 30 or 40 years before wow. the Illuminati. It was still the last. It, it was very, very much backwards, very Catholic. And when you see the history of Bavaria, you can see just how at one point in the middle after the 30 years war uh the elector count of that time just sealed the borders to keep out any heretical ideas which were the ideas that led to the enlightenment yeah you can see i mean i can see why weishaupt would want to uh, rebel against those restrictions so suffocating to the whole population. Well, and it was also, you know, that you know, the when they first started, they they called themselves the Order of the Perfectibilist, and that really illustrates the the core idea of of the Illuminati as Weishaupt understood it. It was an organiza- organization set up so that people could educate themselves in order to perfect themselves. Mm-hmm. And he later, I mean, at that 
particular term didn't last long, and they changed it to uh, Illuminati. But, it's a bit of a conundrum, you know, though, to, isn't it? I'm sorry. What's that? <clears throat> it's a bit no, of a conundrum. No, I was just saying he was looking to... Re- mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Because he was looking to... Well, I'm just saying he was looking to replace, you know, the oppressive Christianity of the Jesuits with what he called was the... It was almost a deist form of Christianity that he believed that the early Christians uh, practiced. He had had some really good ideas. This was good stuff. But as usual, ego always gets in the way, especially in groups. And and again, what I was starting to say is there is a bit of a conundrum when you go on this quest for spiritual awareness or illumination, enlightenment, whatever you want to call it. And the ego can certainly get in the way of all of it because it can turn into a power trip. You know, who wants this power? And if you want this power, then you need to be with our group because we're the ones that have the the keys. We're the ones that have the secrets. So it's a very fine line. I can see where all of this would go downhill fast. Yeah, yeah there, there was very there was no transparency, uh, even right. among the leaders of the groups. And, yeah, uh, the Illuminati actually under Carnegie created a uh, system in which they would join Masonic lodges in order to incorporate that lodge into the structure of the Illuminati organization. And the members they felt were the most qualified and talented would be encouraged to go higher in the grades of the Illuminati, while the other members, especially if they could provide financial support or offer other ways to support that, would be Encouraged to just pursue the uh, the more traditional Masonic path, mm-hmm. not knowing that there yeah. was a secret society, that they were a secret society within another secret society. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, the term Illuminati now is very much associated with satanic worship. Is that anything that you encountered in researching this and translating this book? Uh, it's not in what they were doing, but in what they were accused of. It quickly, uh, at, at this time, it wasn't the uh, satanic aspect, so to the, you know, diehard Catholic especially Jesuit institution, all of their actions were obviously guided by Satan. But it was the political attacks against the sacred order of, of, uh, you know, the old society where, you know, the king, the divine right of kings and whoever was the leaders were ordained by God to have these positions. And Weishaupt was was 
fighting directly against these ideas and calling the ideologies that support them superstition. Mm-hmm. And because they controlled the educational systems of Bavaria, the Jesuits had had great success in maintaining their hold over it, but as the Illuminati order uh, grew stronger, they were successful in getting their own people placed in uh, positions of influence and power, where they could make decisions concerning how their students would be educated. So you can... The conjecture is possible that if the Illuminati had not been exposed, they could have created a real, you know, a huge shift in in Bavarian society. Oh, definitely. Because, I mean, I'm trying to, well, it's not that hard to imagine what it would be like to live in a repressive society like that, where you are forced to comply. I mean, look at everything we've been through in this country in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. between the plague, the vaccine, the you know masks, et cetera, I mean it's not so different and and it's interesting also that you're talking about this being founded, the Illuminati being founded in Bavaria in seventeen seventy six same time as our revolutionary war, and I mean the same principles looking for freedom, where's our freedom, and today. Apparently, astrologically, we're going through a very similar time, and it's the same kind of thing. Uh, do you want yeah, to be a well, sovereign person, or do you want to just comply and become a slave, or be a slave? Yeah, I think uh, the United States, the Pluto, is it's a Pluto return for the United States. Pluto. Right, yes, thank and, you. That's what it is. Uh, And, you know, Pluto has its own specific character that uh, I see having, uh, you know, really defining the kind of conflict that exists right now between, you know, creating a, a society where there's no ability for people to discuss things calmly, but to sue... Uh, you know, everybody's taking a my way or the highway right. stance. And, you know, it's totally irrational. Even, it is. You know, even though there are sides that say they're completely rational, it's not rational. When people mm-hmm. say, you know, the science, well, you know, science cannot be treated as a religious uh, yardstick, but that's what they're doing if it's just science. Uh you know, if we if we always were to trust the science, people would still be doing phrenology. People would still be. <laughs> yeah. That was the science. If you look at the social Darwinism of the 1870s, 1880s, and that still has an imprint in our current societies. But the misogyny that was a fundamental part of it. I mean, that was part of the early social Darwinists where they would look at uh, indigenous societies and they're like, any society in which men and women are equal is a uh, debased society. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's primitive. 
And one right. of the signs of a civilized society is that men take on a greater and greater role and women are just a support group. Right. That was science. That was what the science yeah. said. Right. Nobody, I they mean, had this caste system. Yes. Science, you know, that's supposed to be about science is that it can be questioned. <laughs> that's the way it's supposed to be. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, when Adam Weishaupt was was doing his thing, that's what he was doing. He was questioning all of this, and he was bringing up an alternative to a repressive culture, which he's to be commended for because that that was incredible way back then. And as you yeah, mentioned, I mean, it felt a lot like North Korea. It sounds like a lot like North Korea in Bavaria of old. Yeah. I mean, it's it's. I mean, the North Korean solution has been applied many times by autocrats who understand that the only way they can keep their people completely enslaved is to prevent any ideas from outside from entering. Right. And you see that in countries that completely where all the media is just state-operated. And that's what we you know, have that, here. Where it's very hard for anyone who has a countering viewpoint to make themselves heard. Yeah, look at all of what happened with Twitter banning our president at the time and banning anybody who did not want to go along with the narrative. It's, it was incredible to me that here we are in 2022 and this is how how we're handling it. It's no different than how Bavaria and the Jesuits were trying to keep power over their people. It's it's disappointing. As an historian, and you look at this, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I, for one, have always been, I, I don't feel that canceling unpopular opinion really works it actually tends to increase its appeal but mm -hmm. i also feel that uh i mean especially for when the left which is talking about egalitarianism but and they're attacking ideas on, on the, with the idea that they're elitist there's nothing more elitist than telling other people what they can or cannot read Right. My feeling about this is uh, read it yourself. Don't read what other people tell you about it. If you want to you know, read the actual book and make up your own mind. But they can't yeah. do that if the book has been you know, burnt or thrown out, removed. Yes. Or, you know, and it's really, you know, there's people with compelling arguments, about how this is necessary, but it really doesn't, it really just speaks to their own fears that other people's ideas might be more attractive than their own. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and I'll tell you this too, John, given, you know, everything that we've been talking about tonight, I just have so much more respect for people like Adam Weishaupt, 
people you've written about and are translated this book so beautifully. I mean, I'm just thinking the courage that we have to have today to speak out and maybe say an unpopular opinion. It's enormous. And back then in 1776, for him to have started this group and given it form and ideals, I mean, that took a lot of guts. It really did. Oh, yeah. Well, he was, I mean, Cagliostro, who also appears in this book later, when he's talking about the creation of the myth of the Illuminati, Cagliostro uh, ended up dying in a Vatican prison for the crime of Freemasonry. And, in fact, that crime was punishable by death in uh, the areas of Italy controlled by the Vatican. Yeah, so people you know, paid. It's very different than today. <laughs> uh, yeah, or is it? You know, when I mean, I, I look at some of what's gone on with these people that are now in in jail without having rights. I mean, I'm I'm horrified when I I look at all of that and I think of what you just just said. Somebody dying in a Vatican prison. How different is that really than these people that have been locked away from this? January 6th event that uh, our people are saying they have lost all of their rights. So it's not that different. And it's really horrifying to me that our society hasn't evolved to a place where we can accept each other's opinions and we don't have to uh, control the other side. But that has been what's happening. And back then in... 1776 and moving forward, and that's that's also what was happening to the point where they finally put their foot down and said there will be no more Illuminati, and they were able to threaten them legally and every other way, raid their homes, take their letters. Yeah, they they um, made a extensive uh, attempt to. Uh, find everyone that they could when the elector finally decided to completely suppress the order. Weishaupt was in exile and luckily his protector uh, Duke Ernst of Gotha refused the Bavarian uh, order to extradite him and but uh, yeah, Weishaupt was—you uh, know—he was turned into a monster because yeah, they, they really things were taken out of context and represented right. to the public as being this or that. And you know, he was—you know—this was at a time when Prussia and Austria were at odds, and the Prussians believed he was an Austrian agent, while the people who supported Austria believed he was a a Prussian agent. So is their version of the Russia hoax that we all went through with President Trump, it turned out to be total nonsense. So it's it's really crazy. You know, it's never stopped. And it just made me think, let me go back for a minute. 
to the Bigfoot story that I shared. And <clears throat> I also put something else on our Facebook page about Dr. Matthew Johnson, who is a psychologist, clinical psychologist, and he had a Bigfoot experience a number of years ago. It changed his life forever. And he wrote a book about it. It was fascinating, and he's been on the show talking about it. But just recently, he posted on his Facebook page how, while they were outside enjoying their their campground area near their home, that they found out that there was somebody there from one of the alphabet agencies spying on them. And they have proof because they have video cameras out, and while these people were taping them, uh, Dr. Johnson was also taping them back. So, (laughs) you know, it was just craziness. But he has proof that they were on his property without permission. They've been in his house without permission. Um, Surely listening in on conversations, uh, breaking into their computer. That's and, and you and I know this has gone on for a long time with the UFO community with abductees. This is not unusual for abductees to find out they're being trailed, followed, whatever. So it's you know mm-hmm. it's so me. There's 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 no reason for this, but it happens all the time. And this first experience I've heard though with Bigfoot experiencers being spied on. This is the first time I've heard that. And I totally believe Dr. Johnson. I know he, him, and he is very honest. But, again, it, to me, it's that same kind of repression, that same kind of um, we're going to scare you into submission so that you'll be quiet about these things. Now, why would you have to be quiet about Bigfoot? I don't know. I certainly know why you'd have to be quiet about UFOs and ETs. I know why they would want us all to be quiet about that. <clears throat> but again, it's that same repression. It's not allowing us to have our freedom, to have our freedom of expression. That it, it just it hasn't moved one iota from where it was in your book. Yeah, well, I think that's always been the case. I mean, there's a, you know, you have powerful interests that have lots of resources and those resources go into uh, repressing things that would counter them and supporting things that will keep them keep them going I mean the, the you can see that with uh, well I mean I was just in France and and the pesticide thing there, I mean, the French government is totally willing to, they make these laws outline uh, uh, glyphosate, the uh, Roundup. Oh, but yeah. But then Bear complains and they give it a loophole, but the French people are just like, you know, you go, you go to any place that is not federal but municipal, and they're not using pesticides anymore. Mm-hmm. They they say, get used to the weeds. It's a lot better than Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, <laughs> I'd say. <laughs> and the the French the French are have the 
the studies the French have been doing over the last five years pretty much provide a clear link between Parkinson's and pesticide use. Plus, if you're there, I mean, it was like when I was there, I was like I was a kid again. Everywhere, I mean, just driving at night, there's bugs all over the windshield. I haven't seen that in the United States in years. Oh, my goodness. You're right. Yeah. Birds. Birds. And, you know, here there's, there's, uh, in Renline Chateau, there's this huge uh, ridge covered with wind turbines. Wind turbines are all over France. But there's more birds there than here. See? Because we're, everywhere. they're eating insects that have been poisoned and then they're dying. So, yeah. Right. But the French people have just decided, you know, well, the government can keep playing footsie with corporations, but you know, when it's our decision, we're we're not using them. So everywhere you go, it, it's 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 you forget just how loud nature can be. Mm, yeah. Oh my goodness. You know, you bring up, so, up such interesting points. I mean, the bugs on the windshield—I haven't thought about that in years. But you're right. Where'd they go? Yeah, it's. it's <laughs> So this is but, this is yeah, very interesting. You know, it's just, but you know the the here there's too much corporate involvement with the medical community. Oh God, yeah. And yeah. So you know, it's like you go along or you're fired. I mean, there's so many horror stories of of researchers that came up with stuff that some big corporation didn't like, and then they refused to retract it, and they're chased out of their university position or hospital administrative position or whatever and, you know, labeled a kook. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That happens all the time. Uh, medical, The medical profession is totally owned. There's no question. And it's also you can look at the vaccine uh, situation and now look at all the information that these companies are releasing and yeah, uh, you have to sit back and and really understand who follow the money. That's what I always tell everybody: follow the money if you want to see what's really going. No, no, that's going always on. it. It's like yeah, you just ask who's, who who benefits and where's the money. Exactly, exactly. And we had Garth Nicholson, Doctor Garth Nicholson. He is a Nobel Prize winning microbiologist. He and his wife both microbiologists. And they discovered the cause of Gulf War syndrome. And they both had, I think it was federally supported labs and had done tremendous amount of really incredible research. But they found out that the cause of, of uh, Gulf War syndrome was, guess what, vaccines. And the people were involved, that were involved with, Gulf, with the Gulf War that were not vaccinated didn't get sick. But the other thing they found out that was fascinating to me is that the Gulf War syndrome was also contagious. And as soon as they published all of this information, oh, my gosh, they were shut down. Their labs were shut down, and they were locked out, and they lost all their funding. End of story. Yeah. Perfect example of what happens when you try to tell the truth, and it goes against the corporations that are making money. 
from these vaccines. Yes, it's unfortunate. Uh, but yeah, it is. Know, but again, I, go ahead. No, I just think that you know, if there seems to be a greater movement among in Europe to push this to to push back, so maybe that will help loosen the grip. Well, let's hope. I mean, we we do see uh, people speaking out, and we see now medical professionals and researchers also speaking out about a lot of these things. But you're right. The corporate involvement here is so it's it's just into everything. It's like it's just fingers spreading out everywhere. But it's wonderful to hear that in France they were able to say no to pesticides, and it's changed their whole ecology. That's really yeah, encouraging. Can, it, it's so it's so evident when you're there, and you know, it just reminded me of when I was a kid here, and you know, Vermont's relatively um, ecologically uh, safe in some ways, but there's you know, it was it's nothing like in France. Totally huh. amazed just how. You know, you just go out in the country and it's just like bird song, insects. I mean, I was seeing bumblebees as large as my thumb. And oh you just my hear goodness. it. You just hear this like this 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 chorus of birds and insects just busy away. It's like, oh, you just all of it. You just, I just felt like. Wow, I feel I feel at home. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Oh my goodness, that's wonderful. Well, it would be nice to see a movement like that take hold here, so that we could get rid of some of these pesticides and we could all listen to the symphony of nature, like you did in in France, because we are missing out on all of that. It's it's all out of balance. So it, mm-hmm. it would be good to have some people pick up that torch and and run with it about getting rid of these things. And, and I am seeing more and more about if you were exposed to, you know, this, then contact our law firm. So apparently uh, people are acknowledging the fact that it does cause illness. That's a good start. Yeah, that, I mean, that's where uh, I think the, the Achilles heel for these things are, is that, um, especially with, with the Roundup thing, because it, it's, it's been admitted in, in American jurisprudence that this thing causes causes uh, you know a deadly illness. Yeah. And people have won huge uh, huge settlements against Monsanto and Bear. Good. And eventually the the you know. It, you know, lawyers being lawyers, they go to where the money is. This is where ambulance chasers are now. Yeah. Yeah, they see the potential for sure. Yes, indeed. Now, one one question I have for you to go back to this amazing book that you've written, and again, for everybody that's listening, the name of the book is The Bavarian Illuminati, The Rise and Fall of the World's Most Secret Society. Um there is there are a lot to the ceremony and rituals 
with the Illuminati. And part of it, which I, we've seen throughout a lot of these secret societies, is the idea of dying and being reborn. So talk to us about that. How did they handle that in this group? They didn't have, you know, like the chamber of reflection that you find at Masonic things or the, or the death ritual. It was more of uh, finding the light. That, that was their chief symbol as the initiate uh, progressed through the system. I mean, in the, in the early mineral graves, the recognition sign was placing their hands over their eyes as if blinded by a light. Uh, mm-hmm. Then as it got further up, they would, would the crossing hands over their chest. And as you got into the top grades, there was a whole thing about being a slave and being refused entrance. But it's like, but he's no longer a slave because he has seen the light. So there's this... Okay. Uh, See if I can remember the Latin phrase. Yeah, it's uh, the Illuminatus Minor. Their their duties were pernicacea vident. Through me, the blind can see. That's that was their purpose. So you don't have mm-hmm. the rebirth uh, dynamic that you see in, in masonry. You have this whole idea of. You know, the owl is their symbol. The owl is a symbol of wisdom, but it's also a symbol of a being that can see even in the darkest night. And the Illuminati perceived that what they were, where they were was in the dark night of superstition and oppression. Mm-hmm. And through the education of their members, their members would be able to learn how to see. Okay, so that's how they handle that transmutation. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it's on a very, it's a more intellectual thing than you know the the death and rebirth thing with the initiate is really powerful. It, it's playing with you know the most uh, potent aspects of you know a person's emotional being. So right. this is more intellectual, but that was their appeal. It was like the 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 novice was given huge reading lists as well as their uh, writing duties. And the whole idea was to teach them how to observe not only themselves impartially, but others. Mm-hmm. And while this led itself to the kind of uh, surveillance system that the Illuminati were criticized for, it was also very... Uh, it's indispensable for anybody on a spiritual path to learn how to observe themselves free of the delusions that are created by their desires. Right. That they can start seeing through, seeing through their own, their own, uh, uh, can't have to think it, seeing through their own, their, the, their own, uh, uh, lying to lies to themselves. Yeah, right. 
So they they get past their own illusions, and yeah. So their goal was to see the light, and again, all really good ideas, especially for seventeen seventy six. It was really really good thoughts, and and it sounded like everything was in the right place. But then the usual stuff with the ego and power and infighting. Now, was it just um, those two fighting? Whitehoff and um, what's his name? Kanicki. Were those the two? Well, that was, were there were others? The, the two most powerful members, but Weishaupt was very upset with a lot of his uh, members throughout the history of the uh, order because he felt that they didn't give the order the seriousness with which it was, you know, that he wanted them to to apply to that. So he didn't you feel know, he that was, they gave it the respect that he wanted them to do, to give it, yeah. Yeah, he was, he was you know, that uh, Mesenhausen, who was one of the first members, uh, he... He was replaced by Zwack in Munich because Weishaupt saw that he couldn't be discouraged from uh, drinking too much and womanizing. Oh, okay. so when Zwack <laughs> came along, he, you know, and he, he's his his letters. He's very, you know, he's very clear about the failures of or the failings of his of his. Uh, lower members mm-hmm. and you know in his own uh ideal for the for the society he was created is like you know there's no ambition has has any place here let's see if i can you know it's a place where envy and curiosity could not exercise their corrupting influence where idle mm-hmm. chatter was immediately punished where the mask was stripped away from extravagant daydreams, ignorance, and imposture, and whose secret activity was already manifested in events known to all, but which the profane attribute to chance or fortune. So he was, you know, this was a very serious endeavor, and he was, he, he found very few people that would take it, you know, would, would apply themselves as deliberately as he as he wanted them to. Right. Right. To take it very seriously. That they're on this spiritual path and yeah. So he was a little upset with a bunch of people, not just Kanicki and so yeah, I would imagine that that level of irritation was not managed well. And so it created more trouble. In in the in in the whole group, and then outside, they were getting attacked, and they were being apparently watched. So, people were beginning to know who the members were and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once their identities were known, I mean, and there was suspicions, but nobody could ever prove it. It wasn't until the Bavarian elector uh, started making moves to suppress them that more and more information came out about them, and then their enemies just uh, went to town. Yeah, they did. Now, there is an Illuminati organization today, right? 
and their headquarters are yeah, in Colorado? I mean, I've, 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 yeah, there's, there's still, uh, even at the time this, that Lafore SDA wrote this book, at the end of the book, he, he had to note that there's an Illuminati organization today, and this is their address. But in his opinion, they have no connection whatsoever with the order he just wrote about for 880 pages. But he does. And, <laughs> so there's no 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 link at all. This is just something completely different. I mean, I mean, if you're if people that want to see conspiracies uh, will find evidence. I mean, there's the whole there's all these books, Baruel, Robeson, that came out after the French Revolution that looked at what had happened to the Bavarian Illuminati, especially at the fact that they were able to penetrate all these institutions and government offices there. And they decided that must have been what happened in France. There's no other possible explanation that people couldn't just be treated so badly that they would just finally become so sick of it they would revolt that Mm -hmm. They needed to have these uh, uh, masterminds in the shadow pulling their strings and putting these ideas actually in their head. Otherwise, they'd be perfectly happy. (laughs) Right. Now, so when you see all of this conspiracy talk about the Illuminati, and again, Celebrities being involved, political figures being involved. What do you what do you think of that? Well, I don't really feel that it's it's valid. I mean, there there might be some uh, fraternity type level secret society, but I don't think there's anything real about it. And I think it's on a par with uh, the. You know, the actors or people at other times where there's a lot of occult ideas in the atmosphere, incorporate, incorporating that into their, their acts, into their work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's been a lot of talk about this. And it's, again, a lot about a Luciferian influence, that people in Hollywood are all worshipers of Lucifer and perform these horrible rituals on children and I mean it goes on and on I'm sure you've heard it so it's so different from what you have written about in in the Bavarian Illuminati book it's completely different really well I I tend to feel that a lot of these things are are exaggerated and in some ways uh, when there's a lot of chaos and uncertainty in the world conspiracy theories offer people a kind of structure mm-hmm. with which to approach the problem but then there's also you know uh you know wild ideas about things that you know when you when you i mean somebody was telling me that George Soros was given uh, that the U.S. Army after World War II made him the uh, head of 
all these German corporations. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's not that's not true, unless mm-hmm. as a 14 year old kid, he was you know a prodigy. I mean, whatever, regardless of what his what people feel about him, when the people that are creating these stories create these fictions, that uh, I always just I always I always look. When people just tell me that Fauci and Bill Gates were roommates at Cornell, it's not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bill that was Gates a big one going out of around. Yale. And you know, that's, <laughs> there's 20 years difference. I mean, I mean, I, I maybe not 20, 15, but you know, there's like people say that, and other people just repeat it. They don't think about it. I, I mean, that's part right. of my job is that I always just I don't believe what anybody tells tells me. And it's also part of uh, surrealism. It's what what is on the surface isn't always real. It's uh, you know you have to look beyond the surface. Yes, and, right. And that's that's what I feel is that just you just start peeling away the layers and you'll start finding very different things. Yeah, not necessarily what they just told you. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah, so I never so repeat anything. I mean, every any meme I see, I always like strip it to pieces. Good for you. I mean, that's a good way to approach all of this, so you don't get caught up in something that has no bearing in reality. A lot well, of people so are many, going off on tangents for these things. Yeah. Well, it's so easy to to uh, create uh, virtual lies, basically. Or mm-hmm. half lives. Aha! Uh-huh. Yeah, that's and, a good way to say it. You know, you can just throw this out there, and I, I think I think it more has to do with uh, a kind of overload of information that mm-hmm. the that too much information is as bad as not enough. Mm-hmm. That the mind just sort of tends to shut, start to shut it out. Yeah. That. Yes. Exactly. And some of it's so so uh, different. Let me say that different. There, it's really hard to find reference points that you can trust. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> no, I think you know. For me, it's it's always been just to work within yourself areas that you can control. I can't do anything about what. Um, tapping off in uh, the wider world, you know, except in small ways. But uh, mm-hmm. the uh, you know, if you if you if you cultivate discernment or try to, without turning into someone who's to without, I mean, you have to keep a certain sense of uh, self-deprecation. <laughs> <laughs> never take yeah. never taking yourself too seriously. Right. <laughs> but But yeah, there's there's wisdom out there. And it can be found. <laughs> mhm. Yeah, well, there's John, this what... great author. Go ahead. This Pierre Ravi who is a Algerian but uh lived in France. He just died. And one of my uh, 
a friend of mine who was his translator also just died of COVID. But uh, he uh, he, uh, was amazing. He could turn desert green. (laughs) And he had this, his farm that was just this tropical paradise in the midst of one of the driest regions of France. But he was going back to North Africa trying to help people to stop desertification. Mm-hmm. And he had this uh, story about this, you know, it's an old African folktale about the uh, little bird. There's like this huge fire is picking up and this bird just starts taking beakfuls of water and dumping it on it. And other animals and birds say, well, why why are you bothering? You'll never do it. He says, I'm just doing my part. If other everybody does their part, we'll do it, deal with it. That's right. Yes. That sounds very much like an old shamanic tale. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he had a kind of shamanic personality. It was very he was a very interesting individual and you know, the proof is in the pudding. I mean he he had the 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 greenest thumb of anybody I ever met. I guess so. That's something. I mean, it reminds me of the Finhorn uh, situation, which was at the beginning, how they were able to create. Oh, yeah. Exactly. You know, that's huge right. vegetables. That and, oh, yeah. yeah, that's the same thing. Oh, my goodness. Well, John, this has been such a wonderful evening. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and talking to all of us about this this. Illuminati, the truth about the Illuminati, how it got started. And again, everybody, the name of the book is The Bavarian Illuminati, The Rise and Fall of the World's Most Secret Society. And again, it is the most beautiful book I have seen in a long, long, long time. So if you need a gift for yourself or for anybody else, that is something to definitely put on your list. A great, great gift. So, John, thank you. What's next for you? Are you going to be doing another big project like this? Well, I'm, I've translated quite a few books. Uh, actually, there's one that I'm always happy to talk about. It's being edited now, but it uh, it's also a book that's going to probably shake up some received notions about history insofar oh, as good. it provides evidence that uh, the Vikings didn't just stop at Greenland, and there, they had more than Vinland in North America, that there's evidence for Vikings all the way to Hudson Bay, and that Norumbega, which is uh, on the maps, it was on Cartier's map when he came to uh, uh, on behalf of France to explore, uh, at the Norumbega North Settlement, which could be anywhere from Penobscot Bay in Maine to Chesapeake Bay, but that it actually existed. And he has a lot of he he uh, went to a lot of sources that traditional historians have overlooked or not oh, considered we love of that looking stuff. at. Oh my gosh, you're gonna have to come back and talk to us about that because we love alternate history. We know that what we've been told isn't 
necessarily the truth again either. So what's the name of this book? Uh, I think it's, it's The Mysteries of the Far North. I Great. Think, uh, subtitle would be, uh, let me just see, I think it's the, the True Story of the Vikings in North America or... Um, Well, that sounds like, again, something that we would love to hear about. There's so much to all of this alternate history, and we need to pay more attention to it, that's for sure. Yeah, it's called The Secret History of the Vikings in Greenland and North America. And, you know, the author is, you know, an anthropologist in France and, you know, worked in Greenland works at the Institute, the Eskimo Institute in Copenhagen. And that's one of the things about this book, which until I started working on it, I had no idea that until he did this, none of the historians of Greenland had really thought to talk about talk to the Inuit about their experience oh, see? with the Vikings during this time. And it's in their folklore. Oh, my gosh. Well, again, this is another great adventure that we have to go on with you when you finish this one. So we'll look for that and have you back on the show. And thank you again so much for this wonderful evening. It's been so enlightening. Again, the book, everybody, is The Bavarian Illuminati, The Rise and Fall of the World's Most Secret Society. So next week, everyone, we'll be back with another great show. And we've got... William Stickevers, astrologer extraordinaire. He's going to be talking to us about finances, war, food shortages. You can't miss it. He's going to tell us what we can expect. So until next week, see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girl. John, thanks again so much. That was really great. Well, thanks, Patricia. It was. I'm, I'm glad you. I'm glad it worked out. It was really fun. Yeah, I had a great time with you, and you you shared such important information. And hey, if you ever know of anybody who can translate Aramaic, uh, I have a book that is supposed to be about the control of the jinn. And oh, really? I've looked, yeah, and I've looked for years for a translator, and a couple times hmm. I got close, but because I'm female and they were Muslim, they wouldn't work with me. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, shoot. Um, I have, I mean, I, I know some people in France that might be able to throw some names my way. And that would be great, and I'll I'll send you some pictures of it. It's it's really a pretty wild. Yeah, it sounds looking. great. Yeah, I'd love to get it translated and see what it really says. So. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah, that'd be a fun one. 
Well, again, thank you so much, John. I really appreciate it. It was oh, great. Thank you. All right. Okay. Take care. Take care. Yep. Bye. Bye-bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus